All right, welcome everyone to this episode of the Artist of Motion podcast. Today I'm happy to have Grandmaster Michael Persons with us. Grandmaster Persons got his start in 1966 in Downey, California, USA, at the Kempo studio owned by Grandmaster Joe Dimmick, and trained under that lineage for 36 years. Along with Grandmaster Andre Ulay, he was one of the first two people promoted to 10th degree black belt by Grandmaster Joe Dimmick in Sampai slash Three Shields Kempo in May of 1996. Today he is a published author, and in the martial arts arena, he is the head of Seven Winds Kempo, teaching privately in South Carolina. Great to have you on the show today, sir. How are you? Thank you, Steve. I'm uh, doing well, and a uh, little rainy out here in South Carolina, but uh, doing just fine. I uh, did begin my uh, martial arts training in the Downey School, and uh, walked in and saw a demo, and that's all it took. Um, began training just uh, almost immediately, and uh, by 1972, I was awarded my first degree black belt. Uh, Mr. Parker, Grandmaster Ed Parker, uh, conducted the uh, test, and Mr. Dimmick was there to make sure we did what was we were supposed to be doing. Um, then in uh, 1996, uh, I was awarded my 10th degree. Um, so all of that was great. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed my years uh, being a student under under Grandmaster Joe Dimmick. Um, he is, uh, I think, uh, in, in my estimation, between Mr. Parker and Mr. Dimmick, uh, those are the two greatest martial arts minds that we have had in this kind of golden age of martial arts from the 60s through the present. I heard nothing but great things about Mr. Dimmick, and I was privileged to interview him on season one, so I, I can't argue with anything you said there. Yes, I've listened to that uh, that interview, and th that was a great one. Um he is uh, one of the most humble piece people that that I have uh, known in my in my life. I still consider him a friend. We talk um, on the phone. I talk to uh, Richard Post also, and uh, talk, email, send Christmas cards, all of those things. So we're all still very friendly, even though we've kind of taken different paths. I think that's kind of what's supposed to happen eventually is, you know, a student grows up and finds their own path. So that's, I, mean, I think so. It must have done a good job with it, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, when Mr. Dimmick uh, uh, branched off from Mr. Parker, he had learned all he could of the American and original Kempo system under Ed Parker. And then he formed Sampai Kempo and later changed it to Three Shields Kempo. And what Seven Winds Kempo is all about is I've taken, I was privileged to be there through all of the original and American Kempo uh, karate uh, information that was being taught. So I know all the all of those forms and, and uh, the techniques were the basis for many of our levels and then mr dimmick uh, changed a few of the the a few of the um forms and i kept those 
And then I created 27 other forms, and that's what makes up Seven Winds Kempo. I was going to ask, so how, how would you describe Seven Winds Kempo for anybody who hasn't gotten a chance to look at your website or, or uh, you know, read through your biography and stuff like that? So if somebody new comes into the place, how do you describe what that is? Well, I, I think we, um, we concentrate on um, self-defense for the average person. Um, and it doesn't matter what age you are. It's structured to... Um, to the individual, like it always has been in Kempo. We don't beat each other up in, in uh, freestyle, and yet we still have freestyle, freestyle techniques that we learn. Um, we try to make it as realistic as we can without, uh, without you know, battering and bruising each other because we all have to get up and go to work tomorrow. So... Um, you know, none of us are fighting in tournaments, and and uh, I'm speaking for my students, and uh, I'm sure not at 74, but um, uh, we just I try to make it as realistic as possible. I try to uh, have geared it for home defense. Now, everybody that I talk to, um, they just say, "Well, buy a shotgun," <laughs> and. Um, um, I may or may not have one of those, but um, you can't always get to it, you know. Um, I had a guy come in one time where I was working, and he says, well, we were talking about it, and he goes, I, well, I just carry a gun. I said, well, where's your gun right now? Well, it's in the car. Well, that doesn't do you much good. So unless you're carrying it on you, it, it just doesn't do you much good. Um, but I've tried to... I've tried to um, uh, Again, make things as realistic as possible and still being able to get up and go to work the next day. Okay, so just to uh, dig into that a little bit, if you don't mind, the American Kempo system, uh, as, as written down in uh, Mr. Parker's series of books, has about 154-ish techniques and 70-some-odd extensions. So with all of that material contained in there, what, is, what does that look like as, as far as the curriculum breakdown on a belt system? Like how, many, how much material per belt level does that contain? Well, um, in, in I, I can't speak to um, that any longer, but I can tell you what we have in, in Seven Winds. That's where I was going I with probably, Okay. Uh, I probably have uh, four or five forms in each level and um, 30 self-defense techniques basics in every level up to first brown. I figure by the time you get to be a black belt, you should, you should know all your basics. So what I've done is I've moved all, the, all of the um, basics down in under the under first black level. So you, you end up with 30 self-defense techniques in every level and um, um, four or five forms in every level. Um, there's usually a weapon in, in each level. We start off with a staff, learning just basic uh, staff, how to handle it, how to strike, how to block. And then we uh, second level, there's a, there's a club. And, uh, you know, they're all, um, I saved the exotic weapons until we get up into uh, black belt, high brown and black belt. 
So, um, but that that's basically it. Um, every level has has uh, not only self defense techniques, but part of that thirty are freestyle techniques. So you're going to and and also every level has a fighting warrior set, which is a freestyle set, uh, freestyle form. While uh, you know you have your you have your short one and finger set and things like that that are empty-handed. Um, there's also um, a fighting warrior set one, and that goes up through black belt also. So that takes us through quite an extensive material set for somebody to learn going through seven wins. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's quite a commitment. But uh, the first two levels are, are pretty key. Orange and purple belt are are pretty key because they have such a tremendous foundation. I kind of picture it as a, as a pyramid going up. And orange belt and purple belt are the two really big levels that, um, um, you know, you get, you get a lot of your foundation, um, your stances, things like that. Some of the stances you learn in, in those two levels, you're going to carry them on through your entire training um, clear through, you know, the highest levels of black. You're going to be doing neutral bows and forward bows and reverse bows and shuffles and and things like that. So you may learn them in, as an orange belt or a purple belt, but you, they're going to be with you from then on. Makes sense. So you're basically we're loading the bottom levels with as much of the basic material and the foundational material as possible. Yeah. And if, if a student doesn't last longer than, than Orange Belt, at least they will have a good foundation. Um, they can go out, they'll know how to, they'll know how to block. Um, we use the Three Shields method of self-defense that's taught by Mr. Dimmick. And uh, uh, I use that, that same uh, Three Shields method of blocking. So you never really take on a, an attack uh, straight on, where you you have to defend 100% of your body. We kind of step back, either deliberately or uh, kind of in a uh, kind of a hidden neutral bow. If we're if we're talking and somebody's getting loud and you think something's going to happen, we kind of step back into a into a neutral bow without alarming them to that fact. And then your hands are in a position like, you know, what's up? <laughs> what are you so upset about? So that you can easily come down into three shields. And ultimately, you end up defending one quarter of your body instead of 100% of your body. So it's easier. The three shields method is easier for um, the average person to learn. And if they can't hit you, they can't hurt you. So... <laughs> I mean, in that rule one, you know, don't be on the train tracks when a train gets there. That's it. That's it. <laughs> don't be in front of Richard Post when he starts acting. <laughs> I like it. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he's uh, he was a great guy. I had a lot of fun with that interview and gotten to meet him in person yeah. a couple of times. But yeah, he's definitely somebody who is a freight train on the mat for sure. And that's that's his sense of humor too. You know, we're the, we're the lawnmower and you're the grass. So <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to be the grass. <laughs> yeah. I'll stand behind the lawnmower. I'm good. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's where I want to be. So I found a couple of pieces here just to, to tie back into part of that journey through from 1966 all the way through present day here. Uh, my understanding is, and correct me if I'm if my research is incorrect, uh, that what I found was at some point you had actually purchased the Fountain Valley School from uh, Mr. Dimmick. Is that accurate? That is true. That is true. I was I was getting ready to move up north, and um, he's a pretty convincing guy, and he talked <laughs> me into uh, buying Fountain Valley, and I did. And um, um, we we had. Uh, I don't know how long I was there, maybe six months or so. Um, but we turned things around, and, and we were really going great then. And um, um, I was still one. I had bought property up in Mariposa County, and I wanted to move up there. So I was talking to Darwin Jones one day, and he said that he would like to buy it. So I uh, had it for maybe five or six months. And then I sold it to him, and he uh, was there at the uh, at that location for a short period of time, and then he moved to um, kind of a warehouse uh, um, kind of studio in a in an industrial area. And from there, I'm not quite sure what happened. I know. Um, um, Darwin's wife passed away, and he stopped teaching at the studio. And um, I'm not sure whether Paul Romero purchased it from Darwin or not, but I had heard that. But I did have I did have it for um, five or six months. Enjoyed it. Um, I, I loved to teach, and I was there from opening to close every day. And I, um, Mr. Dimmick would come in once a week, teach some of his students he had private lessons with, and uh, then we'd have a black belt class uh, after that. So it was uh, it was a great time. I can remember the first uh, during that period was the first time when we started to go full contact, and I can remember there must have been. 18 or 20 black belts there that night and we all put on the pads and and uh, <laughs> and went at it <laughs> so it was it was a great time unfortunately i lined up against mr dimmick so <laughs> <laughs> but um at least i got the score on him once or twice <laughs> there you go you know most most of the time you don't even get that close but uh he was experimenting and trying out some new things with pads on, and um, it was a great time. We just had, uh, like I said, we had 18 or 20 uh, black belts in there, and everybody paired off, and we just we just sparred with pads for, I don't know, a half hour or more. So what did those training sessions look like back in that time period? Like, if you were to, to well, lay out, like, what a class would, so you start class, you end class, what does that class kind of look like in that middle period there? Well, in in uh, when I first began, we used to have something called four across. And um, when you're a white belt, these things are um, um, pretty intense, you know. And you have you have a, a brown belt at the other end, uh, calling out commands, you know, inward blocks, outward blocks, kicks, and then you would you would uh, match up against somebody. And you would punch, and they would block. So you're 
you're strengthening your arms and and strengthening your legs. You you block, you kick, they block. And we did that four across up and down the up and down the mats. And uh, then we would uh, do forms, and then we would do um, uh, freestyle techniques. Mr. Dimmick usually would come in and teach uh, the freestyle techniques, and we'd we'd learn one or two freestyle techniques a night. And, um, they were different, um, you know. That's why I mentioned before that I I can't I can't uh, comment on even what even what they teach in three seals now because I've been out of it for um, about sixteen years, well, about sixteen years. Um, so I, I I can't really tell if they tell tell you if they have twenty thirty self-defense techniques that they're learning in each level. I'm not sure how that goes right now. Um, but I do know in, in our level, that's what we do. I, we have, uh, when I have a class, I run my students through basics. And uh, then they run through all of the forms that they're taught in that level. And uh, then we do two, three, or four self-defense techniques at the end. And uh, when they get when they get done with the 30 self-defense techniques, then, um, and, and by that time, they're much better on their basics. Um, so some, some classes will only be running through self-defense techniques and forms. Um, it just depends on, on where that student is at that point in their, their training on that level. That makes sense. So yeah. it's effectively the difference sounds like you know, back in the day there was a whole lot more um, <laughs> intense application of basics in a spontaneous environment is the way I'm going to phrase that. Yeah, yeah we, used to, we used to do all kinds of things that, you know, um, we used to have uh, forearm strengthening techniques where you both do an inside downward block and, and then an outward block and then a downward block. And we're doing that against each other's forms. Um, I'm not sure a lot of people would be able to handle that. I know by the time I I bought the uh, the uh, uh, Fountain Valley School, um, I I don't think those students would have uh, put up to that difficult of training. I'm not sure because I didn't offer it, but uh, there might have been some that would be all for it, but. You know, they want to come in, they want to learn certain things, and, and uh, unless they're on the tournament team or, or sparring after class, you know, a lot of people, when they take classes, they, they aren't there to get beat up. You know what I mean? Yep, I, I can totally relate. That was uh, part of yeah. my Japanese lineage training was body conditioning and that kind of stuff, and there's sure. a lot of those days you're going, hmm. Do I want to do that today, yeah. or do I want to go to my other style today? <laughs> yeah, I know it. I know it. It's uh, it can be kind of tough. I I have uh, my wife is Hawaiian, and uh, um, we were in Hawaii one time, and I was visiting uh, her her brother, and he had taken um, Hongar, and uh, he he goes, uh, hey, do you guys do the uh, forearm conditioning? And I said, yeah. So he wanted to match up against me, and um, after about after about two or three hits, that was all he, he had had enough. 
he goes, wow, you, you're, you're doing your push-ups, I can tell, you know, so, <laughs> but it, it was pretty, it was pretty good to uh, see that all that helps, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to be making a punch and you get blocked and, you know, then it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, and you drop everything because somebody hits you in the arm uh, too hard. They're going to try and be blocking that as hard as you can, as hard as they can. So you got to be able to take it, you know. And that's that's um, what we try to get to. We try to get to that point where uh, you're not um, you're not focusing on that pounding, but um, we do we do things like I, I call economy emotion where they're a block and a punch at the same time. So you can, if, if you punch, if you do a right straight punch, I will come under you and block, raising your elbow up, but I'll trap your, trap your punch, your fist, and then I punch you. So I'm blocking that punch, I'm spraining your arm, and I'm punching you all at the same time. So those are kind of those are kind of fun, um, and you get you get a uh, a little bit of that banging forearms because you're hitting the the other person's forearms. So when you do it, makes sense. But uh, there's a few of them sprinkled in 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 uh, three or four of the levels, and um, um, probably probably purple, blue, green, or maybe. First, third round, something like that. But yeah, those, those are fun too. Those are fun too. Okay, so you're, if I'm encapsulating this correctly, it sounds like your history was primarily under Joe Dimmick for the vast majority of your training. Have you trained in any other systems to any major degree? Um, I have not. Um, I am um, a great observer. <laughs> And if I see something that I like from another style, I will incorporate it into ours. Um, there's a there's a sweep technique called the iron broom, not part of our style, but it is part of seven wins. But it wasn't something that I was taught in tempo classes. It was something that I picked up. Um, I. Um, I read a lot about other martial arts. I, I love to read about other martial arts, um, their history and how they train. And if they have training videos, I like to watch them and just to kind of see what, what's up with, with another style. And um, uh, if, it, if it's something that would fit, I, I incorporate it. We have... Um, we use we use uh, double clubs and we use telescoping batons, and um, I use some of the techniques I use are escrima, and I've never taken escrima, but um, again one of our one of our other black belts took it, showed me a few moves, and then I kind of I kind of went on from there, you know. Um, so I've, I've kind of adapted things that I've seen over 55 years. You know, you see a lot 
And uh, if you see something that works, if, if somebody else is scoring with that technique, you want to make it part of yours. And I think a lot of styles do that, you know. Yeah, it seems like they've seen scene really open that up where it's a, hey, that's a really good move, and uh, I'm stealing it. Yep, yep. And and then all of a sudden you can't tell, is that a Kempo move? Is that a uh, Shinji Kempo move? Or is that, a, you know, a karate move or a kung fu move? You don't, you don't know because everybody's using it now. So uh, a front back knuckle is, is just such a great, you know, if you're if you're lined up with your right foot forward or your, or your left foot forward, it doesn't matter. But that front back knuckle, it's almost like a jab, but I think it's almost quicker than a jab. And it just you're just a little short step, and boom, you're out there. And um, um, we used to I I heard stories about this because it was right before my time uh, I got there and. Um, we used to go over to uh, the Japanese deer park in, in uh, I think it was Buena Park, California, and they had uh, uh, Japanese Karate Federation um, people manning that, and they would have tournaments, and we would go over there, and um, uh, you know, Japanese very very traditional punch with the backhand and all of that. And we were we were doing that back knuckle, um, and people were people were dropping. You know, we'd do it in in close contact, and um, it, it's like no power. You know, that was your front hand. That's no power. And um, we had one guy get a little carried away, and he popped the guy, and uh, the guy went down, and he goes no power. <laughs> You know, to kind of prove a point, which wasn't very sportsmanlike, but uh, you know, there is power in that front hand. It's just so funny to me when you're the, that no power argument it just gets thrown around for so many different things. And I think it was Chuck oh. Sullivan's interview, and I can't remember if it was part one or part two, but he was telling a story about uh, being at a tournament and he watched a Korean stylist that threw a spinning back kick. And the guy standing next to him was like, oh, spinning back kick, not bad weapon. You know, you, you're turning your back to your opponent. You never turn your back to your opponent. And Chuck <laughs> looked at him and goes, well, how come the guy that threw the kick is dancing around in the ring and the other guy's holding himself on the floor on the outside of the ring? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That That is one of the most powerful kicks because you just have a corkscrew effect and you're just kind of unleashing yourself on, on that. Yeah, that's a great kick, but that's that's a great example. You know, but I think I think the thing is is that's not the way I do it, so it can't be strong enough. Right. And I think that's I think now people we're a little more one, you know, and a lot of people are a lot of styles are doing the same things and and that sort of thing. Uh, so I think people are more accepting of what will work and what won't work. Um, but back back in the early days in 1966 and those early days of international karate championships, you know everybody still had their had their uh, way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Now when I when I walked into a ring, I asked the head judge, uh, I would say, uh, "Where are you from, sir?" And if he said Texas, then I knew hitting to the body was okay. <laughs> 
I love because, it. <laughs> because that's what they do in Texas. You know, they you you better your body better be able to take it because you're going to get punched. I love it. You know, and uh, so you know you just kind of check it out and and uh, <laughs> I don't know that that might have been Alan Steen. Uh, judging one of my white belt matches when I first started out. But I, I just asked him, and he goes, I'm from Texas. And uh, I said, okay, got it. Nice. <laughs> and, uh, and that was it, you know. So were you so, part of that, those legendary Dimmick fighting teams at that point? Um, yeah, I had, I was on the, I was on the, um, um, I was on the brown belt uh, team. When you when we won against Chuck Norris, we fought against we fought against Chuck Norris's school, and um, um, that was always you know during that time frame that was the battle, either individually or um, or, or teams. We would always end up fighting uh, Norris. It would be Norris and the Downey School, and um, uh, we had um, George Hay. Um, Matt Dominguez, Howard Singer, all of those guys were international and state champions, and they were just some guys in our studio. <laughs> you know, you've got you've got three three national champions and three st- international champions. I mean, and that that's just part of the guys in your school. And there were guys in the school that were probably every bit as good, but they you know either they didn't go in for the tournaments or or uh, uh, they never won a tournament, but uh, just as tough when you had to fight them, you know. It's an amazing group of people to work with and get better with. It really was. It really was. And I, I always took advantage, I, or they took advantage of me. <laughs> when, we were, when we were coming up, if I was a white belt and we were, we were there, and, you know, George Hayes standing out there, and he's a brown belt, and... Uh, They'd say, anybody want to fight George? And I'd, I'd go, yeah, I'll, I'll fight him. And, uh, you know, it didn't matter if you blocked everything he threw. When he kicked you, if he blocked him, he, he just sent you flying, you know. So um, he's uh, no longer with us, but uh, uh, never forget that guy. He was so powerful. Yeah, we lost Howard Singer last year as well. He was on uh, season one, and I remember him mentioning that name as well. Yeah. Yeah, he and he and uh, George had some real uh, battle royales. <laughs> I can remember. I can remember one tournament where um, um, I I fought Howard in the in kind of a semi semifinal, and George he won a bye, so George won the bye. So the winner of Howard and I would fight George, and. Howard, Howard beat me one to nothing, and um, um, then he fought George, and and he actually beat George too. So, but um, uh, Howard was a good fighter. He was a good fighter. He loved to fight. I imagine just coming up with those guys as your dojo mates. I mean, that, that's just got to be a fantastic learning experience. Oh, it is. It is. It's you can't even uh, you can't even imagine when they're. There, there were other people, Brian Sonnenberg and Joe Souza. Joe Souza was one of the toughest little guys I ever met, you know. 
I remember playing uh, football in high school, and I was a fullback, and I ran through the line, and I got into the backfield, and there was this little guy, Rod Herrera, who was our defensive back, and they blew a whistle on the, on the call, and he just goes, bam, and hits me with an elbow in the helmet. Just let, let me know that, I, that he was there. And that's kind of way, the way Joe Souza was. <laughs> he was this little guy, and man, he was tough as nails. But there were so many of them in, in that Downey school that were just like that. They were just, uh, um, they were the greatest guys in the world. They would do anything for you. But uh, Brian Sonnenberg is another one, and that guy can fight. So, um, yeah, just name after name. Yeah, what <laughs> a great yeah, yeah, it really was. And, you know, we owed it all to Mr. Dimmick. You know, he, uh, he formed a tournament team, and we had tournament techniques, and uh, he'd, he'd kind of call him out from his side if he saw an opening. He would just say something, and boom, we'd do it. Um, and that's where, our, that's where our freestyle techniques originated from that tournament team. And um, it, it really added to that aspect of it. Um, you know, you line up in front of somebody, you, you don't always know what to do. You're sitting there, and then if you see an opening, boom, then you can, you can react to it. Uh, or you just you, you kind of throw some feints out there and, and see what they're going to do and, and uh, react to that. But, uh, yeah, Mr. Dimmick, uh, with his freestyle techniques, um, that that really got us off on the on the right foot as a freestyle school, and uh, um, that's that's mainly what his school is now today. Is they concentrate on those freestyle techniques, and and uh, like I said, you don't want to get in front of them. <laughs> now, how much of that freestyle curriculum, or or any evolution, or a der- derivation of it? Out of that freestyle curriculum that you had learned in the past, how much have you carried that forward into Seven Winds? All of it, all of it. Um, now, I, I don't, I don't have the, I don't have the uh, uh, privilege of knowing the current uh, freestyle techniques they have, but everything from the past for thirty-six years, you know, I have free, I have all the freestyle techniques. I have. Uh, um, you know, all the freestyle techniques that are in each level. What I did with those, if there's nine or ten freestyle techniques in a level, I have made a fighting warrior set out of that. And um, you add, you know, transitions where you're where you're uh, either a cover or a crossover neutral bow or something to get to another position. And it's it's like a form, but it's it's a fighting form. So you're practicing all of your freestyle techniques, but in a a uh, form or kata situation. Right on. So I, I like yeah. to ask this anytime I get to talk to somebody who is real passionate about around freestyle. So uh-huh. how do you take newer students who might be a little, let's say, hesitant or uh, concerned with the spontaneity aspects of freestyle? and get them to be more comfortable in that arena? Well, I, um, I think that um, uh, 
depending on the instructor, of course. I know, I know in the uh, Taekwondo schools, they kind of throw you out there immediately um, after a few classes. I like to, I like to uh, keep it uh, for a while, keep the student away from it. Once they've learned um, even uh, Fighting Warrior Set 1, they've got an idea of how to turn, what a freestyle technique is, what a feint is, um, how to follow through with it. Um, then I think they're ready. They're a little more uh, receptive to doing that kind of freestyle. Um, used to be, used to be, you had to train a little bit before you got to learn how to freestyle. You know, of course, back in China, you had two years of square horse before they'd teach you the next technique. You know, <laughs> they used to call it horse training. So, you know, you're you're doing stances for two years before they will teach you how to use your hands. Right. So, um, it conditions you and and all of that, but. Americans aren't going to, we aren't going to put up with that. <laughs> so uh, you have to have a, you have to have a well-rounded program. But I, I think that, uh, I think that if they get used to, like we have three shields, so you get used to using your three shields. Um, you use it in self-defense, uh, a regular self-defense technique. And then if you can um, apply that into a freestyle situation, um, I, I think they're pretty receptive to uh, get into that at that point. Right on. I, I just like picking up tips from uh, you know people who are better than me. So if that that was a personal. I'm just going to see if I can steal something out of this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just I I think uh, you know once they once they are um, comfortable with knowing how to block. If somebody throws a punch, I can at least knock it down. I don't know about the next one, but I'll at least knock that first one down. Then they, they're starting to build their confidence, and then I think that you can um, uh, kind of ease them into freestyle. We used to have <laughs> – it, it's, it's really funny because we had 20% freestyle, and then we had 100%. So, of course, 20% was never 20%. Um, but, uh, you know, we'd start off slow, and sometimes we would even go, okay, Steve, you attack, Mike, you block. Um, and then I would attack, and you would block. So you're, you're kind of training each other, doing it in, doing it in a freestyle situation, but um, all, all I have to worry about right now is blocking. So I've got my three shields, I'm stepping back, and I'm doing all my moves, my shuffles back, and you're the one punching and kicking and coming forward. Um, so that's another little trick to maybe get, um, get people uh, used, to, used to freestyling. So isolate it now where you're only working on one skill set at a time and just use that to build the confidence. Sure, rather than just throw them into the, into the heap and... You know, I, the other thing that, that I don't like is, um, you know, if you, even if you're a pretty good street fighter, you know, and you come into a freestyle situation, you're going to resort to street fighting, which is okay if you were pretty good. <laughs> but um, you want to, you want to, you're teaching them the martial arts 
So you're trying to change their mind from what they knew or may have known before or thought they knew before to become a martial artist. And um, uh, I think by throwing them in there too soon, uh, people just revert to what they know, whether they know something or nothing at all. Um, so I, 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 I think the slow uh, way to get them into, into freestyle is the better way. Um, if, if they don't uh, last that long, then you don't have somebody out there thinking he knows how to fight. Um, that lasted two months in your school, you know. Makes sense. Yeah. Cool. So, if, is there a, did I miss something along the way between 1966 and present day that we need to cover on the Marshall side? Uh, if there's something else in there, you know, I think cool stories or uh, whatnot here, or different schools you've owned or something like that, I'd like to cover that too. Did I miss anything? Yeah. Well, well, um, as I, as I mentioned before, we, we uh, kind of concentrate on um, um, self-defense for the home. So um, I, used to have, I used to have these wonderful conversations with Mr. Dimmick because um, he, I, I think I was always the one that goes, well, what if? Well, what if? <laughs> and uh, usually he, that, would, that would mean, come out here and let me show you what if. So... Um, but, uh, but I, um, uh, I love weapons. So what I've done is I've, I've adapted uh, many different weapons, swords and other things, um, to protect the home. Now, you can't, you can't carry a samurai on the street, but I can have one in my front room and if you break in my door that's what you're going to see you know so um i think i think that uh, um i've got one student who's who's placed um clubs and various other things all over his house so if he's in the kitchen or if he's in here or if he's in there he, he has weapons of uh, opportunity at his hand and if all else fails he's an eight degree black belt so <laughs> he has that to go with too you know but um it's all about finding the right tool for the right job right that's it that's it yeah not every <laughs> so that, not every tool is a hand fight not every not every fight requires a shotgun either that's it and you know um i i am i'm a second amendment person but i don't i don't own a gun so there it is. Now everybody knows I don't own a gun. But um, uh, I, I believe in the Second Amendment. And um, um, so I, I think that people should have. But what I don't want to do is shoot through my wall and into my neighbor's house, even though they're quite far apart. But um, a shotgun would be a good a solution to that. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just, uh, I've tried to adapt to, you know, what if you're in your backyard? Uh, we had a situation uh, maybe five years ago where these couple guys came around. This guy's out barbecuing in the backyard, and they beat him to death, you know. 
and I don't know why he didn't stick him with the, his fork, but uh, he evidently didn't know what to do and wasn't ready for it. And, and uh, you know, it does kind of tragedies. I don't, I don't like hearing them. I don't like uh, that at all. So wherever, wherever you are, um, you need to be ready for something. But I think that's what the martial arts trains you to. I don't think he was trained in anything. Not not just the physical movements, but the mental awareness and preparedness and being ready around you, you know? Yeah, that's so important. I think in 55 years, I've only come close to a, a, a street fight, if you call it that, maybe two or three times. And, and I ended up neutralizing the situation rather than it becoming a fight, um, you know? So that, and that's just awareness. That's just... Uh, being aware of your circumstances and, you know, in your home, and it's just, it's just you and your wife. Um, it's just you and your wife. You have, uh, you can dial it down a little bit, but when you have people in and out of your house, then you've got to turn up the, the dial a little bit that something may go down, you know. Completely agree. Yeah. Again, yeah. Back to making sure you have the right tools for the job and have the training and understanding of how to function if crisis hits. That's it. That's it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it until it uh, becomes second nature. <laughs> yep. So, if I can move towards uh, one of the other two paths, I know I know we wanted to get to being authorship, but I've got another piece I pulled mm -hmm. out of your bio here that I'm going to hit first. And it says you've been sure. training in healing arts and botanical medicine since January 1972. I have. Can we explore that topic a little bit? Sure can. Um, uh, I, <laughs> I, um, I started the whole thing. Um, my brother was, was a big influence on a lot of things. Um, he's passed away, but he, um, uh, he started me in the martial arts. He's my middle brother. So he came come home one day and he said, hey, I started at this school in Downey. You should come down and check it out. And I came down and checked it out, and I stayed, and he dropped out. But he got me going. In the same way, my oldest daughter was uh, going to be three years old, and she, had, she was going to have her tonsils out when she, uh, when she turned three on her third birthday. And I... I called, um, well, I talked to my brother, and he said, you know, you don't go to a junkyard to build a race car, and you don't necessarily go to a doctor to stay healthy because, um, you know, they deal with the after effects. You're sick, now I'm going to heal you. So he goes, why don't you contact your health food store and see what's up? I did. I contacted, uh, talked to a young lady that worked there. I bought uh, a book called Back to Eden, and that has become my um, botanical medicine Bible until I wrote my own. But um, um, with that book, I, I found a couple herbs. I started my daughter on it. She would drink the tea and gargle. And in 10 days, her tonsils were no longer um, inflamed. And I canceled, the, I canceled the operation. 
and she has her tonsils to this day. And she's uh, around 50. So um, I don't think she'd want me telling you her actual age, <laughs> but for, for that long. And that's what started me. And I thought, wow, if that worked, why don't I do something else, you know? Um, I've got a liniment um, that I've used for almost, you know, it's, Chinese would call it Gita Jiao, but uh, it's uh, a liniment that I used. I came up with a, an original formula, and then um, I had a friend who was uh, an iron palm master, uh, Al Novak. He's passed away. And Al told me that he, he, he goes, well, I'll use this herb in rice wine. So I took that herb and added it to my collection, just, just like I do my martial arts stuff. I see a pattern here. Um, and then I, I talked to some other people, and each, each one had, you know, Arnica, add Arnica, and uh, PMSO. And so I've got this all in my, there's about, there's about eight herbs in um, a rubbing alcohol base, and uh, then I take that and I put it in any kind of a cool icy gel, uh, turns that blue to green, and I know I've got the right consistency. And I use it for everything. I use it for springs. I use it for tension. Um, one day, um, when I was still living in California, Richard Post came over to my house, and we made up a batch. Uh, I was going to make up a batch. So I said, if you want to come and make up your own batch, you come and we'll make it up together. He was uh, very much into breaking things, <laughs> breaking boards. And, you don't say. <laughs> and everything else, legs and <laughs> not that. <laughs> so he used, he, used my, uh, he used my liniment for his breaking um, and uh, he said he didn't get the, you know, the big knuckles or the, uh, the tears in his skin and things like that. He would do his breaking and then he would rub that on his hands and and uh, uh, it was all good. <laughs> but just different things like that. I I wrote a book. I have written a book. I haven't published it. It has. Um, um, about 220 different illnesses matched with 400 herbs. And my problem is every time I think I'm going to release it, some new ancient herb comes out. And it's like, where did that come from? Well, that came from India. That came from China. That came from Brazil, you know. And it's like, well, I can't have a current book without this thing in it. So then I've got to do research and so consequently, it's been almost 50 years I've been waiting to release this herb book. <laughs> I mean, you could always do it with an electronic book, like on Amazon or something like that, and publish it via Kindle, and that way you can do multiple revisions or whatever else, too. Yeah, yeah. I also thought about doing it as a, uh, a three-ring binder and then keeping names and addresses of people who buy it and um, just send them updates. <laughs> well, yeah, I think you can... Now with the, I think the Kindle might be it, you can send the PDF updates and let them print them themselves. Sure, sure. Take this page out, put this page in, or add this page. There you go. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. 
I can think of at least uh, at least seven or eight people right off the top of my head that would be interested in that. That I know are big into that kind of uh, uh, that kind of healing, and it's been on my radar to get to as well. So I, I guess mm-hmm. Peter nine counting me. Well, I um, I've even I've even worked with um, a couple herb companies. Um, I I. Uh, um, there's a company called Puregar. Not sure they're still around, but um, the guy, the, the head designer, product designer, said, if you come up with anything that has garlic in it, you know, garlic and golden seal, garlic and echinacea, garlic and, garlic and whatever, he goes, I will take a look at the formula and then uh, we'll produce it. Well, about the time we got ready to um, uh, really get down to it, I, I, gave him, I gave him a couple different formulas. He sent it up to um, a herbal college up in Washington, and they looked at my formulas, and they said, these are great. So we were all set to go forward with it, and his father passed away. And he had to leave his company, leave Piergar, to go back and um, help with his father's company. And I was kind of left hanging, and I called Piergar, but I, I lost my champion there, you know, so to speak. So when he was gone, the project was gone. Nobody else knew what he was doing, and, and um, you know, but I did have that opportunity to work with him. I had a shampoo and conditioner on the market for probably 10 years in 1990 to close to 2000. And uh, it's called Master Hair Rejuvenator. And I have hundreds of testimonials where it actually grew people's hair back um, from all different situations. One lady had a perm and it just fried her hair right down to her scalp and and uh, she started using it and grew her hair out in no time. And, you know, so I've had, I've had a lot of success with it. Um, and then, you know, my personal success with, with uh, just the people around me, just doing things for them. Um, I, once, you know, <laughs> I, worked, I worked for uh, Union Bank as a, as an assistant vice president. And I was always trying to figure out how I could eliminate absentee. And um, so I, I had a real good team that worked for me. And I said, if you will, tell me when you have a problem, a physical problem, I will create something for you. And hopefully you won't miss any work, you know, and they didn't like missing work and all of that sort of thing. So, and we had the best year ever that year um, because everybody, when they started, uh, I feel like I'm catching the flu and whatever it was, I feel like I've got a cold and and, uh, we'd uh, throw something together and they would take it and within a short period of time, they they would be okay and, um, never miss a day of work. So we had we had a great year for not missing work. 
absenteeism went way down. But those are just some of the things, and you know, uh, I, I've got I've got some some books in the I've got one ready to go, just looking for an agent. And then one of my thoughts was I was going to get back on this old book and really try to get it out. Um, I have I have four daughters, and one daughter is really interested in it, so she may get the binder with the. <laughs> The three-ring binder with uh, um, all the information. That may be how she gets it, but I'm thinking that maybe I'd like to um, uh, try to get it published. Well, there's the a huge, huge, you know, movement right now towards you know more natural ways of healing and you know less pharmaceuticals and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it, now would be the time to do it. Be perfectly honest. Absolutely, absolutely. And one of the one of the things that delays me a little bit, and maybe uh, you'll know somebody, but I'm looking for somebody who can draw a picture of all of the herbs, because what I would like it to be is not only just the words, this is good for this, this, and this, but I would like a picture of it right next to it, right next to the description, and then when you see it, you see it, that, that's golden seal. Well, that's echinacea, you know. I know that because I saw it in my book, you know. So, you know, that's what I'm trying to do, too, is uh, try and get the artwork done for it. I'm a thousand percent sure we can find somebody for that. Yeah, that iron's in the fire. <laughs> so at the end of this episode, anybody who's interested in partnering with Mr. Persons, uh, you know, take, keep a look out for the contact information here. Yes, yes. Normally we save that for the plug your stuff part at the end, but I'm, I'm interested in the natural healing pieces myself. Uh, I had back mm -hmm. surgery and I was on every narcotic and every opioid you were allowed to have until I had an accidental overdose on it and haven't touched them since. But uh, I, I worked on getting my healing done with uh, using uh, DDP yoga, so shout out to DDP yoga. But I always love finding good liniments and good uh, stuff like that. I've got uh, some Ditta Jiao that a buddy of mine hooked me up with that his buddy makes and it's awesome stuff, but it's really pungent. So if I, you know, yeah. I'm always looking for other natural remedies that are in that same vein. Um, maybe not the ones that make my wife want me to sleep on the couch though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or turn your skin yellow. Yep. Um, that's why, that's why I took my liniment and put it in something easier to, um, easier to manage. And you don't, you don't have, it doesn't stain your, skin yellow and it doesn't uh, stain your t-shirts and and smell you know so all of that i'm going to go out on a limb and say when this episode drops you're probably going to want to have some ready <laughs> i better get it ready yeah yep <laughs> uh, us martial artists like to do dumb things and, and get bruises and beat up and all that stuff so all of all of us are always looking for stuff absolutely all, yeah everybody needs it yeah and it's um um it, it has worked well. I, I, I punched a heavy bag and sprained my wrist on a Thursday, put the liniment on, and by Monday I was able to go back out and hit the heavy bag again with no wrap, no nothing. So it's, um, uh, <laughs> I remember another, another silly incident. I was working out, and I worked out for about 45 minutes on the bag, and my last move was a jump and a sidekick into the bag. And the bag won after 45 minutes. My ankle just went, kick, sprained the ankle, 
so again, I was put the liniment on, and in a matter of a couple of days, I was ready to uh, um, go full speed again. So, yeah. Uh, so th- this podcast is currently in thirty-seven countries. I would I would suggest you have some ready. <laughs> <laughs> I, I better get cooking here. <laughs> I better get cooking. I love it. Okay, so uh, you know, making your own liniments, making your own herbal remedies, and I really think that book is. This is the perfect time to be uh, really look at bringing that book out. But since we're mm-hmm. on the topic now, talking about books, I know you're also a published author, and you've got at least two of them out there right now, and another one coming out soon too, right? Yes, yes. Um, the uh, the one I'm currently working on is um, called The Seven Secret Scrolls. And it is about the only Bible prophecy that God has not revealed to man. Um, I don't know if you read Bible prophecy, but I do. And um, uh, we know about all the prophecies. Some have not been fulfilled. But in Revelation 10, 3 and 4, there is a prophecy by the seven thunders. They uttered it. John wrote it down. And a voice from heaven, God, probably, said, seal it up. So why would you have a prophecy and not have what it's all about? You know, every other prophecy, he'll he'll tell us, what the prophecy is, and then he says, this is what it means. And this is the only one in the Bible that it, it doesn't mean it. I mean, he doesn't tell the meaning of it. And what I've done is I've taken, um, I've, I've put it back into a 1912, uh, is when it starts off, and um, uh, I, don't, I don't know how detailed you want me to get into it, but um, entirely up to you. In, in 1912, uh, these two uh, husband and wife team, archaeologists, are working in the uh, Chinese Museum in Peking, because back in 1912, it was called Peking, not Beijing. And uh, they find a clue that leads them to Tibet. And they hire a zeppelin, because there were no planes, they hire a zeppelin to take them into Tibet. Now, it's the middle of August, sunny skies, everything looks good, but just like what happens over the, over the Himalayas, is all of a sudden the storm comes up, the zeppelin is tossed to and fro, and the wife is pregnant with her first child. Her husband didn't want her to go on this trip. So as they are being thrown back and forth in the inclement weather, she has her baby. And the dirigible crashes, and monks from a secret temple in Tibet see the crash, find the woman as she's dying, and she hands her baby over to him and says, will you take care of her? And they, they assure her that they will. Everybody on the dirigible dies with the exception of the baby. They take him back to the temple, 
And the temple has his prophecy that a child will fall from the sky, and he's the one that's going to find the seven thunders prophecy. So the child is living in the temple, and at about five, he's able to, he climbs up on the abbot's desk, and he reads the scroll that's laid out. And the abbot sees it, hears it, and he says, okay, the child training is going to begin tomorrow. And he's trained for, for 20 years, and at age 25, he and his two teachers set out to try to find the seven thunders prophecy. And it's their trek all around um, Hawaii, the Philippines, uh, uh, India. They finally end up in in the uh, Judean mountains of Qumran, and uh, ultimately end up in the Isle of Patmos. And um, you'll have to tune in to hear the rest of it. <laughs> have to buy the book to hear whether they actually found it. But, um, I was really hoping you wouldn't give away the ending there, so yay. No. <laughs> no so they're, they're traveling all over, and, and it's and this is all this is all in the context of current day. This guy on Hawaii, in the isle, uh, on the island of Maui, um, his little neighborhood boy sees him training out in the backyard, and he comes over and he goes, "Hey, um, can you show me those moves?" And he goes, "Well, that depends. Do you have enough time?" to dedicate to putting your foot on this path. And the guy, the kid's going, hey, I just want to know some moves. You know, and he throws a Bruce Lee move out there. And uh, so they, he explains it to him. And, and uh, he has scrolls also. But these scrolls are 13 principles to live by. You know, the first one is patience and tolerance are those two principles. So he goes, you read these scrolls. When you can tell me what you think they mean, come back to me. And if I agree that you think that what you're saying is true, then um, I'll teach you. So over the course of his teaching, every level he gets two new scrolls. And, um, and the teacher is also telling him the story of the seven thunders prophecy, how it began, you know, the year was 1912. And then in 1937 is when they're heading out on this quest. And of course the Nazis are out there looking for anything that, that um, um, is of spiritual, you know, spiritual artifacts so they can use them for their, nefarious uh, ends and uh, so they're, they're, they're looking for the scrolls but they got to kind of keep away from these people that are shadowing and trying to trying to uh, get the scrolls before they do and uh, so the kid is learning about this story uh, all along he's being trained by the teacher and um, I think it makes for a pretty good story. 
Sounds like something I would like to read. I'm uh, I'm not religious or uh, akin to any particular belief structure in that regard. Uh-huh. But I do like you know when people write a book that's based part of it in there, but then they tell their own story. You know, it's like I really like Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code and that whole series. You know, same thing. They're weaving in and out of established fact, but it's a it's a fictional story. I like those stories myself, so I'll be buying. Yeah, them. and it, it's uh, it's one of those things too where you know I I mix. Uh, uh, history, you know, the year is 1912, and I go into all these things that happened in the year of ni- in 1912, and then in 1937 when they're beginning their quest, you know, this is this is uh, where they're going and what they're doing, and you know, I'll I'll say that they're they're going to Karachi, India, and you're going wait a second, Karachi's in uh, um, Pakistan. Well, not in 1937, you know. So you have to you have to know your geography and keep that straight. And uh, you know, and one time they're they're in this location, and and uh, Amelia Earhart had just come through uh, a month before, and so he makes mention of that. So I'm tying in actual history with with what they're going through in that year, you know. Nice. So it's it's kind of it's kind of fun in that situation. Yeah. Okay. So that's the third or fourth, depending on which one you count the uh, healing book as, or the herbal book as, but then you've got two others that have right. been published as well. I know the first one was on Sam Pai Kempo. Uh, I like yeah. the little blurb on your website. It's out of print, but if you're, if you're interested in acquiring an autographed copy from my personal library, please let them know. <laughs> yeah. I, I've got, um, I've got a few. Um, uh, the, the longer I keep them, the, I may take that off um, off the uh, off off the internet uh, off of my website. But uh, that was uh, the 1982 version, 81 version of it was called we were called Kempo Karate in those days, and. Um, when you when you walked in, this is what you would go through. It takes you through a class. It takes you through the material that you would learn to go from white belt to one tip white. And back then, we had a white belt, and we had four brown tips on it. We did not have the colored belt system until later. So it was in the early 70s, I believe, that we started the colored belt system. But by then, you know, I was already, I'd already gone through white and brown, so I never got the orange, purple, blue, green. But I still have my white belt with four brown tips. I have my brown belt with three black tips. And, uh, you know, so that, that's, um, that's what that book was about. Now, it, it's, it's kind of good for a reference because it does show... Um, it does show some some basic things that are that are basic everywhere. You know, um, you could probably look at that book and and see some of your Japanese techniques there, and and maybe even kung fu techniques. I know square horses there, whether it's called square horse or horse riding stance or whatever it's called. So um, those things are there. But uh, for all intents and purposes, that that book is. Out of print, and if I if I were going to reprint something, I would reprint something 
current and not reprint the old. But you can still find that. Um, one of my students, former students up in Washington State, called me one day and he said, hey, your book is in the, um, I forget what, he, what it was called, uh, Antique Books or something like that. And um, um, they had it for like $274, <laughs> which was pretty ridiculous. It cost a lot less than that to begin with. But uh, I, think, I think if you do some searching, I don't know if you could find it or there are people out there that are, that are selling it. You know, they bought it and they're selling their copy. But it actually did pretty well. Um, they only printed 5,000 copies, but in that first, that first year, I was actually going against Mr. Parker and Darnell Jones, Darnell Garcia, excuse me. And Darnell had just won internationals champion uh, that year. And of course, Mr. Parker. And they, we all three had books out and mine was out selling theirs. <laughs> I can't imagine why somebody would be mad at that. Yeah, I can't either. <laughs> so my, my Google Foo tells me that uh, it's available on Amazon and on eBay at the moment. Really? Well, that's interesting. Probably slightly used. Or... Yeah, that's what it looks like. All of them look like used copies. Yeah. But yeah. uh, as, it's, as we said, though, Mr. Persons does have a few limited edition copies that uh, he still has. So maybe maybe you're lucky enough to get one. No, we'll, we'll see about that. <laughs> but, my my friend Al Novak that I that I mentioned earlier, the Iron Palm Master. When I when I first met him, he had a really strong grip, and he and he says, "You come here." And I walked over to him, and he goes, "What's your name?" And I told him, and he said. My name's Mr. Novak. He goes, you should buy one of my books. And I said, why would I do that? <laughs> you know, being a smart ass. And uh, he, uh, he said, because they're good books, they'll teach you all about Iron Palm. And I didn't do it. Every year after that, until he passed away, I came back and I said, Mr. Novak, do you have any of your books? Nope. It's like I had one shot to get it. <laughs> I said, do you have any books left? And he goes, nope, they're all going in the casket with me. You know, so, <laughs> so that was it. That was it. I had one shot to get it, and I didn't get it, and that was it. He wasn't going to give it, give it to me after that. But I talked to him every year, every year for a number of years. So that, that was pretty funny. But, um, yeah, that, that is uh, the first book that I wrote. The second book, very interesting. Um, I am going to be reworking that, and I'm going to reissue it. So right now it's called The Cosmic Warrior, and it is um, on Amazon. You can get it on Amazon, but um, it's uh, it's a uh, I did I did one revision. The one that you that you see on Amazon is um, has about fifty five thousand words, and I added another 
10, 11,000 words, uh, changed the script and, you know, add, added about 11,000 words. So right now the book has about 66,000. And that's the one that I put on Kindle. And unfortunately, I think that the only thing that Google sells is the Trafford version. So I have to get into that, find out why they're not uh, selling the other one. Um, but it, it really doesn't matter because I'm going to be reworking it. I'm going to change the title. I'm going to change the cover and um, uh, see what's happening with it. Unfortunately, I'm not the best marketer out there. I create these things, and then they sit, unfortunately. Um, and that, that was, I, I think The Cosmic Warrior was a real good book, but I, don't, I didn't get much traction off of it. I mean, it's still there. Um, been out there since 2002, I believe. Looks like the reissue date on the Amazon version says 2011. Would that be the updated one then at 216 pages? That's it. That should be the updated, yeah. So there you go. It is on It is on Amazon, uh, the Kindle edition, and in paperback. So uh, it is available. Quick, easy search under Michael Persons on Amazon, and you'll find it. Okay. Well, who's the teacher now? <laughs> You're teaching me oh, I, I happen to have a, a little background at Google Foo. <laughs> <laughs> You're teaching me now. Um but um, uh, that, that book is, you know, the old uh, Good Against Evil. It's set in the 25th century. Mankind has almost destroyed each of itself. And, you know, but we survived and we're coming back. And, and everybody has risen to a higher level of um, consciousness, for lack of a better word. Um, you know, healing is natural. Uh, people's abilities are natural. Their mental abilities is greater. And and yet there is, in this near utopian society, there's this evil that's starting to seep in. And uh, ultimately, two men will have to face each other, one fighting for good and one fighting for evil. And only one will survive. So that one is, uh, I'm still going to do some tweaking on it, and uh, um, I've got a new, the new name that I'm going to put on it is because I have a series planned for it. Um, so this has all given me um, kind of impetus to um, revise that series. What I do with my writing is when I have an idea, I write down everything I can on a page, a piece of paper, and I put it in a folder and I label it what I think a potential title would be. And um, I have I have a whole folder of you know 10, 20, 30 ideas of things to write, and um, and this this one I had planned a trilogy. After the first one didn't didn't do very well, I um, I kind of uh, let the project go. But 
I'm kind of reinvigorated, and I'm going to, like I said, new cover, new reissue, and uh, then um, get working on the uh, second in the trilogy. Respectfully speaking, you've got a ton of work ahead of you with just <laughs> you know the stuff we've talked about so far on this show. Oh, I know, I know. I, um, I, I used to work. I, I still technically do work at a chiropractic office, and um, it, it's been a great um, additive to my tempo. And, um, um, you know, when you know how to hurt and then you know how to heal, it's, it's, a, real, um, it's a real eye-opener. And I've worked there 10 years, and my doctor that I work for is my student. So I teach him the martial arts. He teaches me <laughs> chiropractic, so to speak. And uh, I, from just being around him for 10 years, um, I, I, probably, I probably could go to Costa Rica and open up a store as a, as a chiropractor and nobody would know the difference, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> well, you can't forget the botanicals, too, you know? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of those herbs are great down there. Oh, and, and they're from there. They're, that's the rainforest. There's so much in the rainforest we don't even know about. So, yeah. So that's, uh, that's uh, now that you've got me uh, uh, kind of semi-committed to my herb book again here, um, I've, I've got probably uh, it's a, one sorry, book. but I'm not. No. Don't be, because I, I need that push. I want to get it going. Because technically, I've been isolating for about a year, and I don't know whether I will uh, actually uh, go back out into the workforce. But, um, you know, if you want to be a writer, you have to write. So I've got enough to enough projects ahead of me to keep going. I get up, I come upstairs into my library, and, and I write. So that's that's uh, going to be the name of that game, and um, um, you know I've got uh, the book, the uh, rewrite of Cosmic Warrior, and then the second in the series. I've got uh, uh, another another uh, little children's book that I've worked on. Um, my uh, youngest daughter, when her first child was born, she was born uh, 14 years ago. And she goes, could you write a story for Charlie? Charlie is her name. And I said, sure. So I wrote this story about the smallest dragon. And um, basically, you know, um, there's, it, it tells about the dragon wars and how the, the dragon king finally overcomes the dragons. And the good dragons are banished or they're destroyed and the bad dragons, or excuse me, the bad dragons are banished or destroyed. The good dragons are put into a enchanted garden. And the garden is, uh, when they go into that enchanted garden, they become dragonflies. So um, um, one day we were we were going to be in California, and my da my daughter says, you know, Charlie wants to go to Disneyland, and I said, well, we don't want to go to Disneyland just for a few hours, you know. 
it costs too much money. And Charlie goes, and she was still little, three or four. She goes, have Papa Dragon, that's what she calls me, Papa Dragon. She says, have Papa Dragon call one of his dragons to carry him over the wall. <laughs> then we nice. Then we won't have to pay. <laughs> so, yeah, she's the only one that calls me Papa Dragon. All the rest of them, it's just Papa. But, uh, um, I don't know. I like Sister Mike too. <laughs> Maybe you should publish that book too. Why not? Well, that that's on that's in the tank. You know, it's it's uh, all ready to go. You know, I just I have ideas and and uh, we're going to find the door to the enchanted garden and they're going to go through and the kids are going to go and then the older kids are going to have to rescue them. So it's going to be fun. But I've already got it kind of played out in my head. So, Got a lot of things going on up there. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So I'm going to tie this back. We have, it's easy to see the connection between the martial arts and between the healing sides of the equation. That, that's an easy dichotomy because it's yin and yang. It's, it's two sides of the same coin, right? Yeah, How do you feel that that martial training or your experience in the martial environment has affected your writing career? Well, it... Um... The first book, of course, was a training manual. So um, it affected it greatly. The second book is um, a martial arts adventure novel where I use actual martial arts techniques, the, the hero and uh, his, his uh, uh, compadre, uh, they use martial arts techniques. Um, so it's, it's martial arts woven uh, throughout the whole, interwoven throughout the whole story. And uh, this book, uh, the current book, the legend, or excuse me, um, The Seven Secret Scrolls, this one also, um, the, um, when, when the hero, the young guy, um, has, starts his training, the abbot announces he's going to be trained in the Five Graces. And the five graces in the Chinese martial arts, if you're familiar, is government, history, art, healing, and the martial arts. So those are the five graces that you learn. And um, uh, this, this boy learns them all, learns all of those things. And uh, so I, I think that uh, everything has a, has a martial arts undertone. Um, these three these three guys, the, the student and the two teachers that are going out on this quest, they they are um, uh, going to have to use their martial arts against against the two groups that are following them. And uh, um, you know, it's it's. Uh, uh, all interwoven. You're, you're supposed to write about what you know, and I know, I know the martial arts, so I write about that. <laughs> Makes perfect sense to me. Mm-hmm. But that's how I tie it back. That's how I uh, um, keep it all together. You know, and the martial arts, no matter what what you believe spiritually. There is a spiritual side to the martial arts. I happen to be a Christian, so that's my spiritual side to it. And uh, so it's very easy for me to 
uh, be reading Revelations, find this thing, and go, whoa, how come nobody's uh, done this? You know, of course, I wasn't the first one to discover it. They discovered it a long time ago. It's just that when you go to people, they don't, they don't have an answer for it. Um, so I, uh, I have used literary license and kind of come up with a solution as to what, what it is. Um, and of course, it's fiction. I don't want some cult following telling me <laughs> what they know what's going to happen now. Right. But, um, um, you know, it is strictly fiction. It is my imagination. And, um, you know, the, the verses are true. They are in the Bible, and they're right there for anybody to read. But um, I used my own imagination to come up with what the seven thunders prophecy actually says. Okay. Sounds like uh, mm -hmm. an interesting read. Whenever it comes out, I'll be uh, waiting for my Amazon list to show me it's there. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'm, I'm looking for an agent right now, but all else fails. I'm going to go to Amazon and uh, plug in there. I've got a, like I said, I'm not the best marketer in the world, so I have to figure out how to market my book on Amazon and uh, not just let it hang out to dry. Because I think they're good books. I think they deserve to be read, and uh, um, I hope people will pick them up and read them. Well, we will do what we can and help provide links and uh, see what we can't do to spread the word. Okay, so we are currently linked, as of right now, with Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Podbean, which is our host, Spotify, Amazon Music, slash Audible, Pandora, and we are submitted to iHeartRadio. Just waiting on approval. Wow. Okay. So that's a lot of different platforms that you can find our show on, which is Artist of Motion, or you can go to artistofmotion.com, and uh, we've got all of our podcasts published there as well. But every, actually, every time we have a new episode come out, it automatically reposts it to YouTube, and it automatically reposts it to our Facebook page. Okay. Yeah, I, when I start telling people, I want to be able to tell them where, where to go to... Um... Uh, to find this. Yep. Our you know? easiest one is if you know if you're already using any of those, you know, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Pandora, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, if you're already subscribed to any other podcasts on there, it's just as easy to use that same app. Search for Artist okay. Motion, and then just hit subscribe on it. You'll get every you'll access to every episode from season one, as well as every new episode that's coming out for season two, and beyond however many seasons we get. That's it. I hope it goes on forever. There's a lot of. Uh martial arts information out there by a lot of people that uh, need to pass it on before they uh, before they do <laughs> I had a fantastic interview uh, that it'll be obviously I'm waiting for his approval on it before he gets to uh, publishing status but he's, he's going to be in season two as well and I had a fantastic interview with him and he was the first person that turned that around on me and said hey you know what do you get out of doing all this stuff and for me it's it's I made the joke, which I didn't actually put in the air cut, but it's I'll make the same statement here. It's funny, you know, everybody who puts on the pajamas and dances around and smacks each other around, for whatever reason, we all have a very similar piece that we have taken out of training. Not just some of the best friends you've ever had, not just, you know, you've learned physical skills, but it's life skills, it's communication ability, it's learning to find within yourself something that you didn't know was there. And... 
absolutely overcoming challenges i mean there's so many positive aspects to the martial arts that don't get the airplay that all of the mm-hmm. negative ones do this podcast really exists just to provide that positive place to share your story and you know, I knew because when you you would uh, message me a while back after, I think it was after Richard Post's interview, that said, you know, I would love to be on the show. And we you kind know, of worked it out and got through for season two here. And it, it was mind-blowing to me how fast this thing has grown. And it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And really what I get out of it is I'm the first person that gets to hear all of these interviews. <laughs> Sure. So all sure. of these cool things that you're talking about, I can hear the passion in your voice when you're talking about your training and your teaching and your writing and the herbal pieces. And that to me is just so empowering because it's like, I look to anybody who's been around longer than me, I look to as a senior and anybody who's got information that I, that are willing to share with me, it, you know, knowledge has no value unless you share it. So anything that I can pull out of it, that's going to help me be a better student, a better teacher, you know, maybe make some different health choices in my life. I'm all for it. And just getting to do this show is, is a reward in and of itself for me. I do this because it's just a love, of, a love of the arts and wanting to share and give back the things that have really helped me. That's apparent. That is apparent. And um, those are all admirable uh, ideals for uh, wanting to do it. And, you know, every time, every time you get to hear something, um, um, I have a I have a student who is up in the Sacramento area, and he used to come down once or twice a year, and I would kind of refresh him. And but he always had knowledge of what was going on in the system. And uh, you know, back when we were all jujitsu, and we split from jujitsu and kempo, and you know, and he he's had because he kind of moves in and out of the uh, Filipino community and, and, you know, so he always has a wealth of knowledge to, to share. Um, but, um, um, I, I agree. Every time I hear something new about, about, uh, somebody, it's, it's just, it's a joy. So Mr. Persons, I want to thank you so much for giving me this much time. Uh, we've been recording now for about an hour and a half, and this has been a super, super fun conversation for me. I got to learn a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't know about uh, in your past and your history, and I'm looking forward to reading some of your books, and especially that healing book I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to be honest with you. So go, moving in now to this, our closing segments here, how do people get a hold of you if they're interested in some of the things that you're working on, and where can they find your stuff? I think the easiest way to get a hold of me right now is through my website, and uh, that website is um, the seven number seven secretscrolls.com, and uh, that's my newest book that I have uh, coming out. And uh, on there, you'll be able to. Uh, go through any aspect that you'd like. If you want to know more about the books, uh, there's a section just hit books. If you want to know about um, uh, the martial arts, the history, uh, ancient history of it, um, and uh, there's a contact uh, list right there that goes to a private email for me. And uh, let me know what your thoughts are. Uh, even if it's just uh, to comment on, on the interview. But um, 
that that would be the easiest way to get a hold of me. Good deal. And then I know you've got your books are available through Amazon. If do you have any other places you're selling them besides Amazon and your website at this point? Um, I haven't I haven't uh, set that up yet. So Amazon would be the best place. I am looking for an agent, a literary agent, uh, for the um, seven the seven secret scrolls. Um, if not, it it will uh, it will go on uh, it will go on uh, Kindle, and uh, we'll see. Uh, I don't want to delay that process too long, but uh, if I if I need to put it on Kindle, I will. Um, and uh, hopefully that'll that'll work um, just fine. Um, the other, uh, I don't know if you want me to launch into my philosophy of uh, life. <laughs> oh, sure, why not? I mean, our last piece there is the message to the world segment. So that's you know, if you're take this out 200 years and somebody listens to it, what message do you want to leave that somebody in the future could benefit from, or somebody in present day for that matter? I would say that. I have um, tried to uh, live my life as a Christian, and as a Christian and a martial artist, I treat three aspects of my life, physical, mental, and spiritual. The physical is very obvious to um, your physical defense, self-defense. That's martial arts. Uh, mental, you want to be, educate yourself on truth. And there is no your truth, my truth. There is one truth. And that's what you want to educate yourself on. Find the truth, educate yourself, so that you're able to give a response to people when they uh, come up with their truth. Now, I know that's not going to be a very popular stance, but um, this is 200 years from now. Um, the third is uh, physical, mental, and spiritual. Um, I think the spiritual goes along with the truth. I think uh, you've got to set yourself on the right path. You can't uh, live your life like you're going to live forever. Uh, you have to know where you're going, and um, I think that uh, you set yourself on that path to head there and live your life to say the good old golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, um, and uh, um, treat people like you want to be treated. I think that's it. I love it. Again, Grandmaster Michael Persons, I am so thankful that you gave me this much time out of your day to share your story with us. I will uh, be talking to you here soon as we get this episode ready for publishing. All right. Thank you, Steve. That was a fantastic conversation with Grandmaster Persons. I'm naturally drawn to the healing sides of the arts anyway, so getting to hear about his upcoming book on natural healing remedies is something I'm really looking forward to. As a reader for enjoyment as well as knowledge enhancement, I'm also going to see if I can't pick up copies of his other books as well. Grandmaster Michael Persons can be found at 7winskenpo.com, the7secretscrolls.com, and his books are presently on Amazon.com. He gave you most of that info. I just wanted to make sure I added in the 7winskenpo address for him 
just to make sure. Episode 5 of Season 2 is in the books, folks. Season 1 is still available at even more this week. Yes, again, more major podcast platforms. If you like what you're hearing, give us a rating on whichever platform of choice you're listening on. We greatly appreciate the feedback. We are now on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon slash Audible, Pandora. Now on iHeartRadio, and if you own an Amazon Alexa speaker, or Amazon Echo speaker, we're on the Alexas as well. Find us at artistofmotion.com. Our Facebook page is Artist of Motion. Twitter and Facebook at AOM Podcast. Email pod at artistofmotion.com if you're interested in appearing or want to recommend us a guest. We're open to anyone of any style or any lineage. That's all for this week. I'm Steve Zelazowski. Catch you next time on the Artist of Motion Podcast.